All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 215 of the DFO Rundown, and it's brought to you by Batano. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now with Batano. Good luck at batano.ca. I'm Jason Greger. Welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. Frank, I'm looking forward to today's pod. Of course, we're going to have uh, Craig Button from the uh, the Cool Button podcast, Cool with a K, and of course, TSN, because we're going to talk about uh, the draft. The draft lottery is coming up uh, very quickly. But uh, first, let's get into the playoffs. We have uh, one game in the books for uh, for all four series. What uh, what do you make you of the- You get four uh, the goals, open... and you get four goals, and you get four goals. I mean- And you lose, but, and you yeah, lose. It, how about that? How, we, how, how does that happen? So first time in NHL history, the 100-plus years of the NHL- that a player has scored four goals on back-to-back nights in the playoffs and both have lost. It's crazy. Never happened before. Yeah. And I honestly, which one was, if there is, which one was better? Which performance was better? Oh God. Um, I'm going to say Pavelski just, you know, off the floor and on the board. That was like, that was some shades of Paul Correa there. Yeah, like because he comes off the injury, and you know, like, like Leon Drysaddle. If there is anybody who still thinks that he rides the coattails of McDavid, like you're so behind the times, it's amazing. But like Leon Drysaddle is the second highest scorer in NHL history behind Gretzky in the postseason. He just continues to roll. Like, if the Orders come back and win this series, Frank, we're likely talking about a guy who's going to set the NHL record. Like he's got 11 goals in seven games. The record is 19 by Reggie Leach and Yari Curry. 
Like if they win another round, you know, that that's probably got to be at least another 10, 11 games. Like he's got a really good chance. It's crazy to think about. I, when Mark Shifley had a shot a few years ago at the Jets, I first thing I did phoned up Reggie Leach. Uh, it's Reggie, the rifle, man. It's, it's an all time NHL record. Like that's one of those ones that stands out. It's been 50 years almost. It's well, that Yari, thing has. Yeah. Yari Curry tied him right with 19. Yeah. But I'm saying like that, that Mark has, no one's been able to beat it. It's no. 50 years in like yeah. almost it's crazy. And, um, Dry Seidel's second fastest player in NHL history to 10 in a postseason. The record is four. He did it in seven. Who did it in so, four? Uh, it was way back in the day. I can uh, tell okay. you. Okay. Like Bill Dye or Newsy Lalonde? One of those it guys? It actually is Newsy Lalonde. There you go. Okay. Old Newsy, man. Newsy, trust yeah. me. I look up all the stats. Newsy's everywhere, man. That guy's a killer. Yeah, he is. Well, there's a reason why when the Hall of Fame was introduced that New Zealand was one of the first inductees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, him and Die and some of those early snipers, man, in the, in the very early days of the uh, of the National Hockey League. But I yeah, thought you were going to 1919. He had okay. 10 goals in four postseason games. Leon Dreisaitl, uh 10 and seven, now 11 and seven. So he's tied with Steve Payne, 1981, with the Minnesota North Stars. Maurice Richard, the Rocket, 1944, with the Canadians. And Babe Die. Babe Die. With the Toronto St. Pats. So the Maple Leafs precursor in 1922. So think about that company. Hey, I'm going to say this. The names that players had in the early 1900s. Like, what are we doing? Like, what we got to bring some of these names back, man. Are you kidding me? They're sick. Babe and Hap and Newsy and, like, it's amazing. So good. Yeah, they're so awesome. So, um, now, speaking of, which game do you think, which team's more disappointed to waste a four-goal effort, Edmonton or Dallas? I'm going to say Edmonton because I thought Vegas absolutely crushed them at five-on-five, basically when Drysaddle wasn't on the ice. The second, third, and fourth lines for, for Edmonton, and I know they only had 11 forwards dressed. Like, you could put out an APB for all of them. They, how about this, Frank? So if you look at the nine forwards not named McDavid and Drysaddle, Hyman Kane, Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, uh, McLeod, Bukestad, uh, well, Matias Yanmark, I guess, doesn't count because he only played a few shifts. They combined for seven shots in the game. Darnell Nurse, a defenseman, had seven shots for Edmonton. Like they, they're 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 forward. Edmonton's just five on five. They look sluggish. They look slow the entire game. You know, now they pulled within one before the empty netter, and they can play better. But man, they they looked very discombobulated for much of that game. So I'll agree with you and say Edmonton because that game was more or less a track meet. Like there was no like hardcore defense being played by either team in the sense that there was no shutdown effort or anything like that. And if you think about a game scored with what, 10 goals, I guess if you include the empty netter, that's exactly the style that Edmonton you would think would have an advantage in. But they didn't like, they didn't get anything like they had, I think 15 shots by the end of the second period. Like, it was it was not an offensive track meet as far as Edmonton getting lots of chances. I think they had one or two quality chances uh, for the first forty minutes. Like they turned it on when they got to five four when Drysaddle made it five four in the last ten minutes. Then, but it, you know it's too late. You you can't play ten minutes hard. And 
Now, I expect Edmonton to be better in game two because it's arguably that it'll be tougher for them to be worse, but they just didn't have their legs moving. They missed so many short passes. They had lots of turnovers on fancy plays that they got to eliminate from their game. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of film for the, the coaching staff to go over. Do you, if you're an Oiler fan, should you be worried that your team is over-reliant on the power play at times? Well, they, they they haven't been when you look at their five on five scoring. But they haven't been, but like yeah. la, like if you look at a game like game one, you'd say without yeah. the power play, they're not even in the game. Well, exactly. Yeah, no, five on five, they were bad. They they've actually been pretty. They were good in five on five against LA. Like their their power play, like they've actually got three power play chances, Frank, yesterday, which is which is high. That's way above the average for Vegas. And I said that to me should be the goal for Edmonton is to get three power plays because Vegas's penalty kill isn't good. And the order's power play is ridiculous, stupid good. So um, it's not even that you rely on it. It's just a big weapon, but they do have to bring more five on five. And they did that against LA. They controlled much of the five on five play against LA. And that's why I think I had them ranked as the biggest disappointment because they just, they got outclassed five on five in game one. Hmm. Yeah. I'd expect them to bounce back as you did. Have we underestimated? Oh, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, have we underestimated the Carolina Hurricanes? But um, Seattle, I mean, I think the toughest part for Dallas is Seattle did exactly what they did to Colorado. And they were still unprepared for it, which to me was the the most surprising part. It was almost like, you know, this team's going to outwork you. You know that this team is going to win battles. And you know that they're going to seize on opportunities like when Dallas overloads one side of the ice as they're want to do in their own end, Seattle capitalizes on it and and throws a cross ice pass to a streaking defenseman. Like they're they're not the sexiest team, they're not the flashiest team, but they are the hungriest team and they have brains. They're yeah, smart hate- hockey players. Like they're they and they're able to make up for their lack of superstars and and high end skill by outthinking you too. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's that's problematic for Dallas. However, I will say um, it felt a little bit like the old Philip Grubauer came out to play for Seattle in game one. It was an uncharacteristic night for Jake Ottinger, for sure. But I would say I'm concerned that the clock struck midnight for Grubauer after the revenge tour in round one. Yeah, well, we'll see. And that, that's obviously key. Like I give Seattle so much credit because they let up Jake Ottinger for five. Right, like that just doesn't happen. Minnesota, how many goals did Minnesota have in the last three games of that series? I think it was four. So um, you look at to to be able to light up Dallas and Jake Ottinger without McCann, like Seattle man, Dave Haxtall. We haven't even talked about him all year long. He brought if he's not in the coach of the year category, like uh, you know what are they watching? Because you know you look at the if you just go place by place and you're like, okay, this guy, who do you want as your first line? Very few teams are picking Seattle, but here they are. They're the highest scoring team five on five all year long. They get depth scoring from everybody. It's a different player every night that shows up and you're right. Work ethic. Dallas is going to have to match it. And, uh, um, you know, I still think Dallas is going to win that series, right? They lost game one. So did Edmonton. It's funny. Uh, well, most of the teams, Florida, all these teams are in the second round, except Carolina and Seattle who lost game one. So, you know, we'll see how they bounce back. But Seattle to me, um, I, I probably underestimated them in this series because I thought Colorado was banged up and Colorado's depth. They just, they dominated Colorado's depth, but then they've managed to, to light up uh, 
the best goalie left arguably in the playoffs well maybe Bobrovsky's track record we probably he's a Vesna winner we should probably put him higher but um that, that was an excellent first game and and I'm curious because Seattle didn't do anything different Frank as you said they their game plan is right out there to see so it's not simple. like this is a surprise Yep. I, I just, there's no, no surprise at all. And Dallas got hit in the face by a two by four. Like I just, ha, ha, it's I like, saw Jim Duggan came across Frank and just crushed them. It's like, it's like watching home alone. Like, you know, that, 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 uh, Kevin McAllister is throwing the brick. Like why are you getting hit in the face with it? Yeah. It just shouldn't happen. Yeah. But no, you know what? It's a series and it's a wake up call for Dallas to now respond. And I think, Look, uh, is it possible that the Kraken find a way to upend the Stars in this series? 100%. However, I would say to you, I think the Dallas Stars are very uniquely and sneakily positioned to be the team that emerges from the West. So we'll see what they're made of now. I, I think Dallas has a real chance if they beat the Kraken to knock off whoever comes out of the Pacific. I okay. really believe that. All right. And in we'll fact, see. might pick them. Okay. Now we go to the East and uh, Carolina, New Jersey said, did we underrate him? I think we might've, it's funny. New Jersey looked almost identical to game one against the Rangers where they, they looked like an inexperienced team. And, but now the difference is Carolina might have, if they don't, they got maybe, I think they got the best decor in the league and uh, New Jersey was very challenged to penetrate them at all. They did not generate very much at all, especially in the first period. It was just like, are they even on, like, is the puck even in the offensive zone? So you know, Burns and Slavin and Pesci, and you go down the list of that decor in Carolina, and it's just, they're so mobile, they're so big. Slavin's such a ridiculously good defender. Um, this is going to be a bigger challenge for New Jersey to come back now just because I rank Carolina's decor. And New, and the Rangers' decor is good, but I would rank them in a, a full rung below Carolina's. Mm, yes, I would agree. So if you're New Jersey... What, what, like you watch that game last night. What, what do they got to change? Like, do you agree with me? They kind of looked, kind of looked a little bit overwhelmed like they did in game one and two against the Rangers and then found their game. Well, I think first off, the, the Hurricanes are a way more complete, I complete team. And when I say team, it's the team sense of it. They're a lot more difficult to play against than the Rangers. Yeah, that's fair. How many times did I say New York doesn't have a shutdown line? And that's a real concern for me. Well, Carolina has Jordan Stahl, who should get more Selkie love every year. Um, like, that's a big deal. It's a game-changing presence in your lineup, a game, a series-changing presence, I think. So I think we sort of consensus and group thought and just a little bit of recency bias. Um, I do think the Devils will rebound, but I think a, a lot of people have overlooked what makes Carolina really good and those components that they have, the decor that you mentioned. Um, and look, like they were pretty opportunistic. Like, why can't they get some depth contributions in scoring like Seattle has? Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And and not not only that, but they've started off this series by like puncturing the aura of invincibility that's surrounded Akira Schmidt. So that's, that's going to be a factor too, is like, can this guy, will he start game two? I would. I I mean, I I think he will. And, and the reason he was pulled, it wasn't all on him. They had like one shot when he exited the game. 
So I'm not blaming him by any stretch of the imagination. All I'm saying is, does anyone sort of authentically look at Akira Schmid as a guy that's going to lead the Devils to the Stanley Cup final? Uh, you know, maybe it's Ken Dryden or Roy, but I agree with you. It, it seems rare, but I actually really like that decision to pull him because you mentioned the team is doing nothing in front of him. So this guy's confidence isn't, don't let it be broken down and give up five or six in a game where your team's getting outclassed, you know, let, and you know, maybe VTech Vanajek could find his game and he was okay. He wasn't great. Like, I, I think it's an easy decision to go back, but I thought it was a wise decision by a veteran coach to just say, guess what? Um, a, it'll hopefully spark our team because they'll be like, guys, we got to get going here. And B, it's going to protect your young goalie in case of, uh, you know, what happened in the game, which was five to one. And you'd rather him not have to let in those other two. So now he comes back and he's a young player and you know, he can be naive to the situation. Just be like, hey, I'm ready to go here. I'll be better in game two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense to me. Um, and you also get Vanitek's feet wet. Yeah. Which I think yeah, is important because you're, you're probably going to need him. And I've been saying this the whole time. Like, I think the smart teams are going to get into a tandem situation. But at some that's point, just yeah, um, something to look at. Now, of course, the last one, uh, which was the uh, the first game of the first round, Florida and Toronto. And, you know, Toronto got two early power plays. They didn't capitalize. I thought that was huge in the game because uh, Florida got some momentum. And then Cousins scored first. And, you know, I give Toronto some bounce back, but they made a terrible defensive error on the, th- on the third Florida goal and just weren't able to, to bounce back from it. The one thing I found that Toronto, I'm going to be curious to see this Florida team was much more physical because they're quicker than Tampa's bottom guys, mm-hmm. and they were physical. And obviously, Matthew Kachuk was hitting everything that moves. I'm going to be curious to see how Toronto responds to the physicality of this series. I think the speed is the biggest change for the the, the Leafs as opposed to the Lightning. Tampa is deliberate. They're physical, but they're not fast. And in fact, that fourth line may be the slowest line in hockey that Tampa has. So... Florida comes at you in waves. I've said before, they're fearless. Um, And and really, there's some similarities, I think, between the Kraken, not the team aspect of it, but the Kraken and the way they won game one, sort of being directly as advertised, and the Panthers winning directly as prescribed in, in game one in Toronto. There were no surprises. There were you knew Matthew Kachuk is going to be out there doing Matthew Kachuk type things. Um, what did surprise me though was Toronto's big guns sort of being on a milk carton. You know where was the impactful play that we saw from you know at, at times in the first round? Like a bunch of guys still need to elevate. Like Austin Matthews showed me a ton in round one. Where's William Nylander been? I yeah. need, I'd like to see more from Mitch Marner. Like, I think those guys have more to give another level to get to. Um, and it, it can't just, you know, I, I talked about the emotional component of this on Monday's pod, the idea that will Toronto be satisfied from re- winning round one? I don't know about you and it's too early to make a, a judgment on this, but they looked like a team that was satisfied to me. They looked like a team that was way too comfortable to be handing away one game on home ice. Does it mean anything? Winning game one has meant absolutely jack shit in these playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy. Seven of the eight teams that advanced uh, lost. Six. 
No, six and two, right? Seattle, sorry, Carolina. Six, you're right. Yeah. Six of the eight teams that lost game one advanced. Yeah. So it doesn't mean anything. And and one game, you don't want to make too strong of a, a judgment call one way or the other. But, you know, the Leafs, they they need it. Like, they, they can't go down 0-2 heading on the road. No. I don't think I... that's a recipe for success. I don't think it'll happen. Um, but you know what? I think the same goes for for the late game. The Dallas Stars, they don't want to be down 0-2 heading on the road either. That's ugly. Oh, well, same with Edmonton, you know, New Jersey, 0-2 is... Yeah, but they haven't it... played a home game yet. So no. I, it's different. A little different. Okay, I see what you're saying. And not that home has mattered because I, yeah. I, I looked at the, at the records so far, these playoffs. Uh, round one, the road team was 31 and 19. Yeah. Round two, so far, they're two and two. So it's yeah. thir- uh, 33 and 21 for the playoffs for the road teams, which is, I've been saying forever, home ice doesn't matter, but it seems like the statistics are finally getting closer to backing that up. Yeah, 31 wins in the first round by the road team. That was the most ever in NHL history. Not surprising. And, you know, like I, the thing about Toronto, and, and you talk about their speed, Frank, the reason I picked Toronto in the first round was I thought they were better than Tampa Bay, and, and Tampa Bay wasn't the team that won Stanley Cups or even got to the Stanley Cup final the year before. They're just, their depth wasn't there. And, uh, and I thought that came out. Florida uh, has been my underachiever all year long. I've talked about it. And, you know, now that they're healthy, right? Duclair's healthy. They got Verhage. Like, they look a lot more like the team we saw last year right now than the team you saw in the regular season when different guys were banged up. And they were a really good team last year. And then they got steamrolled by by Tampa Bay. And I think, you know, as much as Toronto feels like they have disappointed the last few years and they got the win, I think Florida's in the same boat. I think Florida's a team that feels like, you know what, we've been a pretty good team here for a few years and haven't done anything. Like, yeah, we won a round, so it gets talked about more. But as Bill Guerin said, like, you don't get a Stanley Cup for winning one round, right? Like, that's the new thing in Minnesota. you got to win a round. Sure, you, you want to win multiple rounds. You don't want to just win one. Winning one just means you win one. So um, I think you got two hungry teams. I expect Toronto to be hungrier tonight, uh, no question, in, in game Brandon two. Brandon Montour, by the way? Hey, dude, it's had oh. a great year. Unreal. Yeah. Well, you look I back just, at that, his- that playoffs, like, again, an, another – Another performance. Like let let's let's add up his goals. He has like twenty three goals over the last however many years, and he's got the same number this season now. <laughs> it's it's, it's unbelievable season. when you look at it. I want to do the math real quick. Um, it, it's it's utterly unbelievable. Thirty one over his last five seasons, and he's got twenty two so far this year between playoffs and regular season. The 2000, 2014 draft class, Frank, the two highest scoring defensemen, Aaron Ekblad, Brandon Montour from the 2014 class. Ekblad, of course, went one. Montour was drafted 55th, and uh, he's looking pretty good right now. And, and yeah, he's had a huge breakout season uh, for, for Florida. And they need him, right? Like, you need the guys who are your leaders in the regular season. It's hard to win in the postseason when those guys aren't there. And that's why, like, Edmonton, you talk about William Nylander, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They got to put an APB out for him because he's got to show up here soon. The guy had 100 points in the regular season. You need to, you need to contribute in the playoffs. The team won a lot of games because you were contributing. So he's got to find a way to get on the score sheet. And you know, if there is one knock on the player, he he had one last year. I think it was in the second round. 
the Ryan Nugent Hopkins signature moment against Calgary. But God damn, has he been a disappointing playoff player? He's got nine goals in 44 career playoff games, 32 points. And the numbers look gaudier than they are because there's not really a lot of substance to it. Yeah, they need him. Like he's got to start shooting the puck to me. Like he was shooting it with confidence all regular season. But yeah, when you're a, a 30, you're above 35 goals. Right, you you got to score in the playoffs. It's just it's you can't expect a, a team that got all the way there and was great, and you were a real part of it, and then not be a part of it in the postseason. So you know it is only eight games. I understand that, or seven, excuse me, but that's just the reality of the playoffs. There's you don't get a fifteen game runway to find you your game. You can't be a passenger. You just no. can't. There, you you, your teams, your team falls out is what happens if you're a passenger. Too yes. many passengers, and you just you get off the ride. Yeah. It's totally true. Now, um, let's bring in uh, Craig Button because uh, we're going to talk uh, lots about the draft lottery, Frank. The excitement. There's lots of fan bases listening. They're like, God, you guys haven't talked about our team. Well, your team's not in the playoffs, but guess what? Coming up I Monday. I have a dirty secret. What's that? I'm going to be sequestered in the draft lottery room on Monday. So I will actually know the results before anyone else. But <laughs> they're going to take my phone. Okay. So I'll just be able to watch along, but I want oh, you're writing to see, a story about it. Yeah. I wanted to see what the process is like behind the scenes and uh, excited to share the story uh, next week after it all ha- ends up. Ooh. So, so next Thursday, that- we'll have a lot to talk about. It's in Jersey at the NHL network studios. So not too far from my house, quick little drive. And I said, you know what, this would be pretty cool. Let's uh, let's see what it's like to be in the room where the ping pong balls are pulled so that uh, everyone that that has their tinfoil hat on after the fact, I can just say, uh-uh. Oh, oh, you mean the people that, oh, it was rigged. It yeah. was rigged. Yes. Yeah. So what's, for fun, Frank, before you go in and you're sequestered, who's winning the draft lottery? Who's your pick? I don't have any. I'm not kidding. I don't have any feeling. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Playing one way or the other. Yeah, well, make a pick. 
Nah, I'm sticking with my team, buddy. Let's go Blue Jackets. I'll think. I'll think about it. I'll tell you on Monday before we okay. before I go. All right. Okay, that works. I like that. Uh, Craig Button, of course, uh, who's a former NHL uh, scout and GM, as ace analyst at uh, TSN. Also, he's uh, part of the Cool Button podcast. Of course, that's uh, cool with a K. You can get that uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, him and Steve Coolius. It's a it's a high energy pod. If you've never listened to it, it's a lot of fun. Craig, welcome to the pod. Good to see you again. How you doing? I am doing really well. You know, uh, spent a little time over at the U18 in Switzerland, trying to keep track of the NHL playoffs. You know, it's not so easy at uh, you know 1 a.m. at night, 4 a.m. in the morning, but uh, managed to do it. And the first round looked exciting. So. Now back and settled in, and uh, you know it, it, it only gets more exciting in the CHL and the NHL, and certainly with the draft lottery on Monday. One team's going to be pretty happy. When well, they get yeah. Their- and to me, like we all know who's going number one. It's it's pretty obvious. Bedard's going number one, but I want to talk about the picks after that because you know there's going to be people disappointed. I don't know if there'll be a GM who's a openly as disappointed as we saw in 2015 or not. But when you look at guys like Adam Fantilli and Carlson and, you know, Matt Vemichkov, like what are, how much of a step below are players getting? Like, are we going to see a 400 point difference eight years later between Eichel and McDavid? Like we're going to see Bedard and someone now? But, but let's stop and just think about that for a second. What you just said, Eichel was, was a hell of a player. Right, yeah. coming out of college hockey, out of out of Boston University, right, and and yeah, he had some injuries, right. So maybe that gap is only really three hundred points, but <laughs> I mean that's that's a massive gap, like four hundred points, three hundred points. Listen, I, I I don't think it's close. I don't think there's anybody close to Bedard. Not close. I don't think there's anybody in his universe. Yeah, when when I compare somebody, and I'm not saying he is Gretzky, it it, it he he at this age going into this year. He's the best player that he's nobody's done anything like him since Gretzky in 77 and 78. Not Lemieux, not McDavid, not Crosby. Bedard's the first guy to do that in almost 50 years. I'm not suggesting that he's Gretzky, but that's how far and away he is. He's the best player. Not close. So, what is the next rung down? How special is that? next crop of players under him relative to years past would they be in the sort of typical year number one category is that fair to say yeah i think it is frank i, I you, you know you look at fantilli who, who who's a top line scorer you look at carlson a top line center you you got mishkov's the wild card we all know that mishkov's a really good player but he's a wild card just because of Russia and the contract. But that, that, that doesn't take him out of the conversation because, because he's that good. But, you know, Fantilli, who, who, who can score and, and has a lot of high-end uh, skills, Carlson, who's, who's a playmaker, has got that size and what I would call that, that, that elegance in the center ice position, that's, those are players that make your team better. But – I don't think that they're superstars. I don't think that they're players that are going to emerge as as guys that let, like McCarr emerge as a superstar, right? Uh, you know, David Pasternak later in the draft emerged as a superstar. Patterson at five emerged as a superstar. I'm not so sure there's anybody of that ilk uh, after Bedard. Really, really, I, I think there's a lot of depth of what I would call top two line scoring forwards and top four defensemen. And if you can get those players, you know, 
15, 18 into the draft. And I think there's a lot of them. I think that that's, that's my definition of a, of a real deep quality draft. I mean, there's going to be your 45 players that play 350 games. And, you know, that's just the straight numbers. But I think there is quality in terms of two top, uh, top two line forwards and top four defensemen. So to me, there's two drama points when I'm looking at this draft from a storing storytelling perspective. One is on Monday, <clears throat> of course, with the draft lottery. And then two, we you just touched on Mishkov and and how to me fascinating that is. Um what is the proper risk profile? Like there's all sorts of various teams in this draft lottery that are at different points in terms of you know, where they're building and heading towards with both the contract and the years remaining and the socio-political world that exists right now or geopolitical world that exists right now with regards to Russia, what would you do? Like if if you were sitting in, in the chair of, of one of those teams as general manager, how confident would you be in making the pick and w- would you be willing to pull the trigger? So I, I'm just going to use uh, Ivan Moroshnichenko. He was a first-round draft pick to the Washington Capitals. He, he's coming over. I mean, he's coming over. He just signed right? so, this week. Yeah. So so now so now I don't think it's a question of not being able to get the Russian players. So you know the socio-political part of it, right? I mean, we don't know when that when that uh, uh, will end. I mean, that's not up to anybody in hockey. I mean, that's up to uh, the powers that be. So I'll leave that alone. So, but we know that in 2026 is when Mishkov's contract ends. So if you're looking three years down the road and you're looking at where your team is at, when you ask about risk profile, Frank, you're going, okay, we could get an entry level player at 21 that could come in and be a real impact player. I mean, what's the value of that for your team looking at where you're at? And, and let's look at some teams, Arizona, Chicago, Montreal, like, you know, you look at where they're at, like Arizona. I mean, they're looking to be in a new building, hopefully by 2026. I think that their whole plan dovetails perfectly with with Mishkov's contract expiration. Chicago, we know where they're at, and certainly when you the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, a, 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 a dynamic player like Mishkov. I mean, they're three years. Like they can wait. They got lots of good young players. So. I, I, I'm not so sure it's even any more about the socio-political. I mean, I think it comes down to, are we willing to draft this player with, with knowing that we haven't had eyeballs on him this season? There's been no eyeballs on, on Matt Bay-Mitchcock this season. Uh, with, with key Every key decision-maker in the NHL has not had eyeballs on him this year. And nobody's so, been into Russia. So so now you got to feel comfortable with saying, hey, he's too good, we can't pass him up. Like, I mean, the, the Arizona Coyotes right now heading into the draft lottery have the 12th pick from Ottawa. I don't see any scenario where Mitchkov's there at 12. <laughs> like I, I see no scenario because he's too he's too talented. And why wouldn't you just wait? Why wouldn't you just most players you have to wait anyway? So why yeah. wouldn't you just wait for him? That's where I see it with Mitchkov. So um, I know there's I know we talk about risk and everything. I'm not so sure there is any risk. <laughs> I think I think the risk may be in saying. Oh, talk yourself out of them. Be careful about talking yourself out of them if you if you like them. Great. We've Great. seen that happen time and time again with Russian players over the years. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm curious, though, if you could expand on, I don't think a, a casual fan or even a hardcore fan that's not into the draft 
really understands what you were saying about not having eyeballs in Russia. So my understanding, and tell me if I'm incorrect, is that there are some teams that have Russia-based scouts that are Russian citizens that live there. So that part has not changed. But the idea that other European-based scouts or other members of your front office, obviously they're not traveling to Russia, so they haven't been able to have eyeballs on those players that's my understanding of it. And is that correct? One and two outside of Mitchkoff, then how much look videos available in a way that it's never been before. Um, how much has that impact the, the, the stock of other Russian born players eligible for this draft? Yeah. So, so let me, let, let me clarify on the eyeballs. No key decision maker on any NHL team has had eyeballs live on Mishkov in Russia. They haven't, they haven't been able to get into Russia. Yeah, everybody has Russian scouts. They're, they're regional scouts, they're part-time scouts, and they're not key decision makers. And the, the reality of the draft is, is you, you, you want your key decision makers to have eyeballs, live eyeballs on the players. Now, people have seen Mishkov play live outside of Russia. And I mean, I, that's why I don't think there's any doubt that uh, his, his, the assessment of him talent-wise is high. Video is, is, is good and, and certainly, uh, you know, something that has been used. We saw it during, during the pandemic when, you know, fans weren't allowed into the building. So I think there's a greater comfort level of using video. And, and again, that, that's why when I go back to, is there any risk? I, I'm not so sure there is any risk anymore. You, you know, the more I think about it, you know, either you like them. If, like, I've been through it for years and I hear, yeah, but he's Russian. Yeah, but he's Russian. Yeah, but he's a good player. You're trying to get a good hockey player. Like, just get just get a good hockey player. You know, there's lots of top, top-notch Russian players in the National Hockey League, and we can go and use any number of examples of players that everybody go, yeah, he's a good player, and they didn't draft him, but they, so why didn't you draft him? Everybody's looking for good players, but if you, want, if you want to talk yourself out of a player, there's no better opportunity than to talk yourself out of Mishkov this year. There's no better opportunity. Sociopolitical, his contract, we didn't have eyeballs on him. There's been enough eyeballs on him live. He, he, he's a top-notch player. There's no question he's a top-notch player. Now, whether he whether you have him at three or two or five or whatnot, he, he falls into that category of player where he's got dynamic skills. Who doesn't want that? Craig, to me, the, there might actually be less risk because NHL teams still can't help themselves on rushing young players to the NHL. It happens all the time, and you see guys struggling, and they're there for one year or two. And look at the Rangers still. You know, like, it, it happens all the time for high picks. So this might be the way to save them from themselves. It's like, oh, God, we got this guy. Oh, geez, we can't bring him over. God, we really want him, but you can't. So that actually might, might benefit them. I went back through a lot of drafts because, you know, there's – I wouldn't say it surprises, but, you know, I remember when Mo Sider went number six and people were like, what? And then you look a few years later and and obviously that was the right pick, no question. Heck, he might have been able to go higher. Kale McCarr. It, it seems for the most part, forwards get a lot more excitement at the draft, maybe because it's easier to project a forward and you would know better at 17 and 18 years of age. So are there is are there some defensemen here that you see in this draft who who might end up uh, being better than they're projected to be right now? And is it difficult? Is it more challenging to draft defensemen than forwards in your eyes? Yeah, yeah I, 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 
Yeah, it could be tougher to draft defensemen. I mean, I, I know that when I was in Dallas, when we were in Dallas, we drafted defensemen at, uh, at eight back-to-back years, Darren Hatcher and Richard Maffichuk, and they became really key players uh, for, for, our, for our success in Dallas. I think the two best defensemen in the draft, Jason, are two Swedes, Axel Sandin Pelika and Tommy Lelander. And I think they're top pair defensemen. You, you know, when you, you can go and watch them and you can go and say, OK, yeah, they need some development. They need some time. Yeah, well, that's true. Just to your point earlier, like all players need time. and They're all on their own timeline. Yeah. But when, when you consider when you consider and you're, and you're trying to project, what, you know, what translates to the NHL, you know, quick decision making, good puck play, you know, joining the attack. I mean, the way the game is played now in transition and, you know, you, we use the term play fast. Well, playing fast means thinking. If you can't think fast, you can't play fast. I, I can guarantee you that. I don't care how fast you skate. If you don't think fast, you're not going to be fast. And those two players, and I've watched those players now, I don't know, 20 times over the course of, 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 of a year and a half or so. And all they've done is progress and progress and progress. Where I've got to the point where I go, what they do is pretty special. What they do is pretty special. They're different types of players. You know, Sandine is, is uh, Sandine Pelica is more of a smooth, silky type of uh, defenseman. Vlander is really smart, a little bit more robust in terms of his physical play. But you know, two two def- and a right shot defenseman. I, I was talking to uh, a bunch of a bunch of people uh, with with one team in, in in Switzerland, and and we and we were just and we were laughing about everybody wants a right shot defenseman. And then it gets to the draft. You go, well, you know, we'll take the four. Back to your point. And, like, the same thing happens. You talk yourself out of players. You, you literally talk yourself out of players. And you, you, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer. Know what you're looking for and then just put a stake in the ground. And this is who we're taking. And you only get one, sh- you only get one player. Draft the player you like and you want. Just get after it. Are there – so – you look at those right shot defensemen, that, that definitely makes a, a big difference. And, you know, looking at this draft, you know, obviously there's been lots of talk about Fantilli at number two and, and Mitchkoff and, and some others. But give me your thoughts on a guy like um, like Zach Benson and Will Smith. Where Who who do those players remind you of? And are, are those two guys you think are top ten picks? Yeah, I think Will Smith. And, I, I, I you know, one of the things that I, I go back to, I go back to Cole Perfetti. And Cole Perfetti, I thought, was a really top-notch prospect. But he, he, he went to 10. And I know, I know a number of teams at the time were looking for a little bit of a bigger player. They, they recognized that Cole was talented, but they wanted a, a little bit of a bigger player. I, it's interesting now, Jason, because I've heard uh, from a couple of people with teams that were picking in the top 10 and went with a little bit bigger player, wish they took Perfetti now. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to you to do the uh, nah. the, 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 the forensics on it. But you, you, again, like you go, okay, we want a little bit bigger player. Zach Benson's a really talented player. I think he's got the quickness and the creativity and, and kind of the mind of, of a Patrick Kane. He's not Patrick Kane, but that type of a player. Will Smith is, is such a good, well-rounded player. He's that, he's that player that's so well-rounded in every aspect of the game. And, he, and he's a centerman that can that, that, that can score. He can make plays. You know, he, he's he's got br- what I what I consider to be brilliant hockey sense. But you, when when you look at players and, and and you see, like I think Will Smith is a is a top line center. But I, but I don't think he's in that elite category 
of, of number one centers. I think Benson's a, a top line winger, but I don't think he's in that elite category, Panarin, you know, Pasternak, you, you know, I mentioned Kane, but when you can get a player like that, that, you know, maybe 70 points is what Zach Benson can contribute. I, but but I, I, I think a lot of times teams and, and scouts, and I, I've been guilty of it, you, you, you overproject. I, I think you got to get to a point of, of, of accurately projecting it. I, I think that expectations rise for when, when you over project and, and not, not only with, not only within, but also on that player. So I think you got to be really realistic about what, what is realistic in terms of, of a projection and, and watching what, what it takes uh, for that player to have anywhere near that. I mean, I, I know this year we had a number of hundred point scorers. It's hard to be a point of game player. So that's just 82 points. If I say Zach Benson is going to be a 70 point, oh, what? That's all you think? Geez, that, if he gets 70 points, yeah. that, that's that's damn good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the projection point of it for sure. So I have a philosophical question for you. Um, why are more goalies not taken high in the draft? Like, speaking of accurately project. There's no more important position in the sport, yet last year we did not see one taken in the first round. If you go back the last three drafts, there have been three. The last four drafts, there have been four. I'm not seeing, at least in terms of the rankings, and I'm looking forward to the next Craigslist when that comes out, but I'm not seeing a goalie highly touted this year. And my question to you is, are NHL teams getting this wrong? Well, I mean, I, I think goaltending is uh, is one that it's more of a raw position. There, there's a lot of technical aspects that have to be developed, and and I think that's just normal with with respect to goaltenders. But but I think Frank, your point is correct. I have I, I have I have two goaltenders in my first round: Carson Bjarnason and Michael Rabel. Uh, you know, Carson from Brandon and Michael Rabel, who played in Omaha and Wachekia. They're in my first round. And I have three of my top 33 because I have Trey Augustine 33 on, on, my, on my list. And so I have three goaltenders in the top 33. But you did not have you did not have any in your last March ranking, correct? Yeah, you're, you're correct. Absolutely correct. But one of the things that I'm trying to do is, is, is work towards the end, right? And the, and the final draft list is based on all the work leading up to that point. I'm not trying to be right in November. I'm trying to identify – you, you know, the players and then, and then I'm ready to work off of that and try to continue to watch. It's, it's not a static exercise. And I think with goaltenders, you know, looking at them and obviously like any other player, you need, you, you need, you need requisite skill and requisite talent. But I think Bjarnason reminds me of Jake Ottinger and, and Michael Rabel at the same exact age. I'm telling you, I, I feel like I'm watching Jacob Marchstrom. That's exactly what it feels like I'm watching. And Trey Augustine has just got this incredible efficiency to his game and high-end IQ as a goaltender, and, and you need those qualities. Now, because there's only one goaltender, right, and, and you're right, Frank, you know, do you, do, do you work against yourself by saying, oh, we'll get one later? I know I, you, need, you need development space for your goaltender, so you can't just draft five goaltenders because you can't sign them all. And then there's, like, anything else – People go, well, you can get them later. Well, that's true. Well, you can you can get Shea Weber in the second round too. Why would you draft the defenseman in the first round then, right? Like, you know, it, but it's numbers game. And I, I think the numbers game come in, but 
like I do think, like people say, wow, there's too much risk of drafting a goaltender. I've seen number one picks that were high-end players not make it. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Not draft a winger? We're not going to draft a winger because Nail Yakupov didn't turn out? We're not going to draft a center because Nolan Patrick didn't turn out? I don't think so. But we, we tend to make that argument against goalies. And Frank, to your point, it's wrong. It's wrong. I, I think they're getting it wrong. I just The value of the position, if you yes. see someone you like, you should take him. So to that end, this is a copycat league. And one of the proliferations that we saw, if you want to call it that, in the last decade was a instead of just a goalie coach, it became a goaltending department. And you have a goaltending assistant and a goaltending development coach. And in Florida, you've got a head of goaltending, whatever that means. My question to you is you were just at the U18s in Switzerland. I'm wondering if you ran into anyone that from a team, and I don't want you to name the team, but were there people there specifically just to watch the goalies? Is that a new, is that the next proliferation? Is it, are teams going to be scouting goalies more? Because that's really the root of it. You can develop, you can, all those things. But if you don't get the guy in the draft, it doesn't really matter. You got to get the right guy. Well, you're right. I, I, I can think of two teams that specifically had somebody there uh, to, to, to watch the goaltenders to, you know, two people. And, and, and and two two teams that in my view may not need a goalie <laughs> like you know you, you you know with some with some talent in their pipeline but they understand the a, value of the goalie then yeah well they do and, and and you're right and but i but frank to answer your question i can think of two teams right and you know again you know you don't like i i know goaltending and and i think the most important thing with goal like with, with players in terms of development is the hardest you can look at talent and you you can say okay we think that guy's a good player we think that's a good player but then what you have to do is is how are you going to develop that talent and what is i i i differentiate between what i call developmental uh weaknesses and inherent weaknesses you know if if, if you're not quick or fast in your thinking you can't develop it in my view you're done like forget it like you, you you're gonna have a trouble if, if your skating is off like you, you and you're, you're going to have a tough time playing in the NHL. For a goaltender, if your lateral quickness is slow, good luck playing in the NHL. If you don't read plays as a goaltender, you're not playing in the NHL. So understanding what's developmental and what's inherent, I, weaknesses, I, I think, become really – and that's where I think scouting the goaltenders can, can, can really help you in, with, with respect. Okay, here's what we can develop and here's what we got to work with. And it, it, It's hard. Because all the players fall into that category. And, and again, when you're drafting a player, we drafted a player many years ago in Dallas. His name was Mike Ryan. He was a really good high school player. We drafted him in the first round. And we just said, oh, don't worry. Once he physically matures, he'll be great. Well, here was the problem. And we learned this over time. His body wasn't capable of maturing to the level of NHL standard. <laughs> so as talented as he was in, in, in high school and as competitive and as hardworking as he was, he wasn't able to develop physically to, to meet the standards of the National Hockey League. He had, he, he had a little bit of cup of coffee in the NHL and a little bit because of his skill, but he was a really good player. We thought just, oh, just he'll work. That, that doesn't work like that. Jason Botterill, who we drafted in the first round, his mother was an Olympic speed skater. Nobody worked harder in his skating than Jason Botterill. And we thought, oh, no, no worries. He could never get his level of skating up to the pace. Excellent competitor, smart. We just and he worked. I, I'm telling you, I've never seen a player work harder, improving his skating than Jason Botterill. 
but it couldn't be improved to an extent where he could play in the NHL. Greg, my next question might be difficult, um, but hey, that's why we get young. So if I go back to, uh, to you know, the 2014 draft, uh, Braden Point dropped all the way to 79th. He just scored 51 goals. He's got the third most points from his draft class, right? 2015, you've got, uh, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, who was, I think, 135th, and and now he's one of the elite players, right? Like, you get my point. Jesper Brad, 100 and whatever he was, 60th. And I think from 2016, he's in sixth or fifth in, in points. There's always guys who drop for di- drop for different reasons. And, you know, it's funny because none of those guys seem big, right? Kaprizov's not overly big. Braden Point. The funny thing was, though, I watched Point all year because my nephew was there. And I was like, how's this guy not getting drafted? I don't get it. Like, he was he was so feisty. And, then, like, to me, that was just a miss by everybody. Um, who are the guys this year that, that are going to just – are going to be those late round gems. You have one or two guys that you think, because I know you, you rank a lot of the top guys, but are there guys that for whatever reason, size is usually one that you think are going to be a little bit later that are going to pan out to be quite good players. And I know that says, well, I would rank them higher, but it's no one's going to rank everybody perfect. It's impossible. It's 17 and 18 year olds. Yeah. Well, you can't. And, and I'll go back to Braden Point. I watched Braden play since the time he was 12 and, you know, know him and know the family and watched him play. And it was really good. And, and, and I, if I recall correctly, I, I, I ranked them somewhere in the top 20. Well, guess what? Go look at some of the guys I rated ahead of them. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, boy. Like, you know, yeah, so I could sit here and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at the guys that I rated ahead of them. And, they, and some of them were first-round picks and it didn't turn out. You know, Kaprizov was a little bit there. I think you're going to find players like Kaprizov and Bratt. Uh, in, in every draft. I mean, you, you're looking at talented players and you're looking at guys like – you know, like I'll give you, I'll give you a name. Zeb Forsfall. He's a centerman for Sweden. Really good player. Really competitive. Smart. You know, you watch him in the game. He has the puck lots, right? He's not going to get drafted in the first three rounds, in my view. But if he shows up somewhere down the road, you're you're going to go. Yeah, he was a pretty good player. I'll tell you the Henrik Zetterberg story. And you know, it's and I could show you my notes from that scouting year. We, we'd go and watch the tournaments and everything, watching the league. And you'd leave. And my notes were always the same. Zetterberg, oh, really good player, small. Oh, really good player, competes, small. Really good player, small. And, like, that's, that's how it was with everybody. That's how it was with all the players. It wasn't just uh, uh, the smaller players at that time. And I, I know Jim Neal was in, was, in, uh, was in Detroit. He said, yeah, we did the same exact standard report, and then we get to a point where we were just so – well, let's just drop the skill. If he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, who cares? So I think you've got to get a focus, Jason, on saying who has those skill. I, I, I Back to Frank's question about goaltending and, and, and speaking about goaltending and working against yourself, just get skill. Just go, like in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, go and get skill. That's where I would be. And I think that that's where the focus has to be. I give you one name, you know, Lane Hudson went late in the second round, maybe not middle of the second round last year. 62. Lane Hudson, 60, it was late right at the end. Okay. So I said this prior to the World Junior Tournament. I said, if he was five foot 11, he would have been in consideration for the first overall pick last year. And the reality of the situation is, is he's not 5'11". But if he yeah. was, and, 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 and you, you manage the draft and, and, and you understand what you're trying to do with the draft. Kucherov, I mean, you leave the U18 tournament in 2011, Kucherov was the best player by mile. He went late in the second round, right? So, I, I, again, what, what do teams do? They talk themselves out of players, right? 
instead of talking yourself into a player. I, you know, when, the, when, when you start to look at skill and talent, that's what, that's what you need to be successful in the NHL. And that's what teams need. So don't talk yourself out of it. And when you get to the third, and I'll say even the third round, just start looking at skill. And don't worry about where, where a player stands or how much he weighs at that point in time. Because the vast majority, half the players in the NHL come from the first and second round. And then after that, it, 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 it's a, so take a chance on the skill. Don't, don't mess around trying to talk yourself out of it. Oh, but he's small of that. Because there's a lot of really good players that aren't as big that are in this draft and have been in previous drafts. And, that, and that's, that's how I look at it, Jason. And uh, you mentioned the top defense. Um, what about uh, top North American D-men, uh, Canada, U.S.? Uh, who do you like? Well, I, I think there's a whole, a whole, I, I guess, pool of defensemen that, that I think are all in, 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 in a similar group. And it could be Lucas Dragosevic. It could be Tanner Molendyke. You know, Caden Price. You, you, Cameron Allen. Uh, you have Andrew Gibson. You have Etienne Moran. I mean, I've just named six players. Okay, and, and, and there's a number of them that, to me, are 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 are, are they first round picks? I don't think so. But they're going to go somewhere in that range of thirty in the second round, maybe to the mid third round. And I think that's where teams are trying to sort out where those players are and and understanding, okay, what does this player bring? How do we support him? What, what, I don't see Elaine Hudson in any of that group. <laughs> I see some good players and Lane only went that late because of his height. But I think there's a, a, a whole pool of players that teams all rank differently too. One team might have Caden Price high. Another player might have Andrew Gibson high. Another player might have Tanner Molendyke high. I, I just think that that's the group of players and and in my view, second pair defensemen, maybe third pair defensemen. They all fall into that category of projection. And out of that group of players that I just named, I'm not so sure there's a top three defenseman in there. A number four, which is still a second pair, yeah. but in my own evaluations, I'm not sure there's a number three even in there, a top three. Definitely not a top pair of them. Now, could somebody develop? Yeah, but I don't see it at this point. And one last one for me, Craig, and I know you know quite a few of the scouts, so you see them around, you've talked to them, you kind of get a sense. Every year there's a player for whatever reason that, you know, that's in a lot of rankings is high and then come draft day drops, right? Cam Fowler comes to mind, he turned out to be a really good player. I think he was ranked third, ended up going 12th. Is there a guy, when you talk to scouts, you're like, you know what? Like, And you might have him high, but you're like, I think teams, for whatever reason, there's, I don't know if there's the, the group think tank or not, but here's a guy who's going to drop. Is there one for you? There's three players that I'm going to mention here right now. And, and the one player, I, I think he's terrific. I, 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 I've had teams ask me about it because they've heard me talk about it. It's Edward Shala, the Czechia player. Listen, okay. he played 10 minutes a night in the Czech Extra League. He doesn't get an opportunity. And, you know, and, and, and people want to judge it. I, I saw the same thing happen with David Patrick. I think Edward Shala is a terrific player. And I, it, it's a cautionary tale. Andrew Crystal and Riley Height are players that have been rated pretty high. I don't think they're going in the first round. And in fact, in, in, in my next ranking, I dropped them out of my top 32 because I think that there's some areas of their game that, uh, that, that they have to really develop in a significant way. They're not big players. They're not great skaters. 
And so those types of – but you're going to see them rated high, and we might get to the draft and see those guys. And teams have asked me about them. They've asked me about them. Lots of scouts and lots of people have asked me about them. And so those would be the two. I think Shala drops, and I think that for me, I think he's a terrific prospect, and I think the other two drop out of the first round. And I think that, you know, because of different – so those are the guys that – that you know, one maybe dropping a little bit deeper into the first round than maybe I would think or others, and and two that I think are dropping right out of the first round, and they're gonna and they're both rated high. Just go look where Central Scouting had them rated high, and again, Frank, I go back to the uh, to to the continuous development. The U eighteen is a higher level of play, and when you watch players go to that level, you're still evaluating. You're still evaluating. It's not recency bias. If you're evaluating over time, you go, hey, these are good. But now you see them have some challenges at that level. Well, guess what? The NHL is another two or three levels up. So I think that they become real factors in terms of, uh, of assessment and where the players get, get selected. Awesome stuff, Craig. Uh, we look forward to the uh, draft lottery. I, I got it. We've debated this for fun, so I'm going to ask you. If, you, if Connor Bedard, hey, he's great. He's going to be good either way. But I'm talking for the best chance for early success, which team in the lottery that has the best odds do you think would be the ideal starting point for Connor Bedard? Columbus Blue Jackets. Connor Bedard will get 100 points. Line A will score 50 goals, and Goudreau will be at over 100 points. I mean, I Johnny Goudreau will look like a genius like going to Columbus if they end up with Bedard. That's, that's, that's where I think you, you talk about a defining. Where's the best fit for him to have early success? Columbus Blue Jackets. Craig, we hey, you know what? Great minds think alike. You and I are on the same page. I like it. Jason's been saying that forever, and I've just been saying, yeah, that's great. Um, he's one of the most – Columbus is one of the most anonymous franchises in pro sports. Like, if you want to grow the market, that's the best place for him to land. If you want more eyeballs on Connor Bedard, for the NHL's perspective, probably one of the worst. I don't think – uh, NHL, what I've realized, Frank, NHL is a regional sport. It's not a national sport. And the NFL is a regional sport, too. I mean, people love football, but uh, Seattle Seahawks fans don't care about the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, good players end up in good spots. You know, I, I know what you're saying. We tend to say that about marketplace, right? But for, for the NHL, you know, Pittsburgh and Washington were nowhere when Ovechkin and Crosby showed up. And yeah. look at what happened to those what look what happened to those two franchises and markets. Yeah, that's a great point. Awesome stuff, Craig. Uh, we look forward to it. And uh, even between now and the draft, I'm sure some teams will uh, will change their opinion on players. They will. They will. There's, there's still CHL playoffs. There's some world championships going on where some players will be playing, and and you have these debates. And the Frank talked about it earlier. Video. You know, you go back and where there's disagreements there. Let's look at the video. That's another beautiful thing about the video. Awesome stuff, man. Thanks for joining us on the DFO Rundown. My pleasure. Craig Button, uh, I always love talking to Butts, man. He's, he's so informed on so many different guys. Um, you know, I like his opinion. Hey, like every uh, every scout, uh, there's some picks you, you make and some picks you don't. And it, it is interesting to me that the David Pasternak comparison, that's the one that really perked my ears. Because if as great of a player as Leon Dreisaitl is, and, and he's the best player from his draft, David Pasternak is right there at 25 and then Braden Point 79th. So, you know what? You never know from year to year who's going to be there. But if there's some teams sleeping on guys and there's a comparison to David Pasternak, that might be opening my eyes a little bit more. There is no more 
media member on the planet that's connected to the NHL draft more than Craig Button. It's true. And that's with all due respect to all the draft analysts out there, but Craig is a uh, has seen most of these players since they were 12 and 12 14 years old and is it's got a he's got a, an encyclopedic knowledge but more than that he is also of counsel you heard him say teams ask me about this player about that player teams are asking him all the time what do you think what do you see he's got the experience having done it for 30 years and we're like and he's in the him. rink like he's he, he's, he's not there. just doing it on video he goes just and back from switzerland he was just there at the u18s last week so yeah so you get, you get a different feel like obviously watching video is hugely important and Craig's talked about that but being in the rink there's just certain things that you can see it's like watching any game TV doesn't always catch everything and there's certain things you can see and, and if you're an experienced scout that's where you're going to pick up on it so and it's still you know I've talked to so many GMs and scouts and Craig and he's just like you know what you can do all your homework but it's still a little bit of a crapshoot because 100%. you just you don't know how much this, you know, how, like Connor Bedard's easy as Craig says, goes any, anybody who's watched hockey once can pick Connor Bedard first. That takes no skill. It's more so you get into make sure that you were getting the right pick, even at three and four and seven and 15 and 30. And then can you make the right one? So uh, I'm always fascinated by the draft. Um, there, there's always way too much early analysis on the draft that makes me chuckle, but I always watch for the guys where I see teams draft a forward, Craig, who's got like 11 goals and he's six foot three. And I'm like, why, what are you doing? When there's, there's a guy who's five ten with 40 goals, right? Like, and we've seen it. We talked about Carolina. Look at Sebastian Ajo, 35th overall, Alex to early second rounder, Braden point, Nikita Kuch. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. 
With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You're off. Like, there's lots of different guys. And so um, don't, don't get too enamored automatically if, if your team doesn't have a high pick. Because if your team has a history of drafting well, that's what you want to trust. Well, no better person to trust than Craig. Yeah, so always good to have him on the pod. Frank, uh, enjoy the weekend. We will uh, talk to you Monday before the big sequestering. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.